Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. Today, we're going to be talking about a situation taking place in the United Kingdom, Extinction Rebellion. We've spoken about them. We've had episodes about them before on the show. These guys, they just don't like the world the way it is. Well, let's just say they like the world the way it was before human beings showed up. That's kind of the message I get from them. They like the world the way it was. So in a sense, that makes them the ultimate conservatives, doesn't it? Ironically enough, I'll stop waxing poetic here and move along with the story. So they're blocking traffic. They're acting a fool. And let me tell you, those police in the UK, they took their nightsticks and they said, oh, let's see how we can help facilitate the situation. And of course, these Extinction Rebellion, these leftists, these uh, nihilist egalitarians, they are the establishment. They are not rebelling, ironically enough. They, they're it. They made it. They've been the establishment of the academic world for probably a couple centuries or so, depending how, where you start counting it to be the case. But uh, certainly at a societal, at a sort of an institutional level, I think you could say since the 1960s, they've been penetrating all civilized countries and uh, the hippies have taken over. Enjoy it. Anyway, we're going to talk about who's the who's the police even on whose side is the police even on? And uh, let me tell you, uh, they've got an actor on their team, the guy from Game of Thrones who hung out with uh, Terry and the little person for most of the series. That that cool guy I used to think was cool. He's he's participating in this shenanigan. Well, we've got an actor on our side, too. Please welcome Mark Pellegrino. What's up? Not much. Uh, do with my usual level of research, kind of uh, trying to kind of uh, pick up bits and pieces of what I heard about this whole thing. Uh, headline says Extinction Rebellion blocks busy junction in London. You know, people don't think about what that means to block traffic. Literally, lives are going to end, which I know Extinction Rebellion, it's in the name. Uh, they might not mind people dying. But literally, when you when you have emergencies or just you're conducting business, you're trying to get to work, you're trying to get make appointments. No, oh, hey. Hey, don't worry about it. Extinction Rebellion needs this street right now. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, that's the narcissism of this of this system that we've built up where people think political rights, the right to freely assemble, means assembling in the streets, which are for passage for people to get from point A to point B. And I'm sorry, that is not the case. Free assembly means you can rent a hall or a park and go there and assemble and and petition your government and protest all you want, but you can't stop me from going to work. You can't stop me from going to the hospital, to visit my mother or my kids. You can't stop me from going to the grocery store. And so the idea that they have a right that conflicts with my right is itself a, a, a contradiction. Yeah. And uh, the more bananas the leftists go and the more we try to offer capitalism as the political system that'll definitely uh, help uh, keep some of these wackos at bay. We are met with uh, resistance from conservatives, from centrists, whatever they are, who say, no, 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 we can't have complete laissez faire. Well, who's going to pave the roads? Who's go what about the roads? Literally, the roads if privatized would keep these wackos off of it so I can go to work. Well, it's, no. not even, it's not even like we don't have a precedent for that. Um, I mean, for the first hundred or so years of our Republic roads, bridges, uh, um, uh, locks, uh, waterways, 
they were they were all built by by private uh, companies, uh, and you know the, the capital was privately raised. They they don't need uh, the, we don't need the government for infrastructure. If if the failing infrastructure isn't enough of of a proof, we have a hundred years or more of private enterprise doing a a better job. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. It, it's you know I think Peikoff uh, compared it to people in the Soviet Union saying, "Well, we can't do it with communism. Who's going to give us the bread?" You know, like you're going to have all these people standing in line and no bread at the at the front of the line. Uh, it's it's absolutely insane. You know, I mean, what's going to stop one bread company from just buying all the competitors and charging a million dollars a loaf? That's you know that's what people would say. I mean, it the roads make perfect sense to me. The airspace can get a little bit more uh, difficult to imagine because it's more it's like 3D chess compared to roads. But still, it would be very possible with with legal scholars taking the issue seriously, as well as private interests putting their money towards what it is they're willing to uh, invest in. Um, got a couple super chats right off the bat. Mary Aline with 149 and a picture of a peach. Thank you. That bright lifts up my spirits in the midst of all this nihilistic filth. Uh, Phil with five pounds says mark what point has to be reached for an objectivist politicians to make sense of the electorate in the glibly described free world what <laughs> phil's questions are a work of art it's always like i mean we need to have lisa work van damen here to go of, through his super chats uh he's asking abstract art <laughs> um i prefer to call it poetry he says what point has to be reached for an objectivist politician to make sense to the electorate ah. in, today, in today's landscape? Well, I think we need a cultural uh, revolution. And this and is- that's, yeah. not, that's not for a few generations yet, but I think we're starting it right now. Yeah, and you started a political party in the US, the capitalist party, despite, yeah. the, the, despite the reality that the, the country's not ready for a president, but maybe at the local level, or maybe just having a capitalist party candidate on the scene will help influence uh the dialogue so eventually uh, that's true mm -hmm. kathleen with two pounds says just for Razi calling uh extinction rebellion spoiled brats uh sammy's board again with 99 pence and a unicorn jonathan honig with 999 american says thank you no thank you and sammy's board again with a banana and 99 pence jonathan honig is back with 499 and some hippopotamuses you know hippopotamuses will inherit the earth if Extinction Rebellion have their way. Now, people think, oh, you're exaggerating. The left is not as bad as you say. I mean, not everyone who, um, not everyone who is not, you know, on the right, let's say, like a lot of people maybe lean left. They're not um, as bad as you might think. But Extinction Rebellion, they're like as explicit as they can be. These people are absolutely insane. Uh, the They've been labeled, quote, extreme, an extremist ideology by the terrorist police. Um, uh, producer behind the scene, D Dylan, is saying he doesn't see any terrorist acts in their history, but, um, but they have been labeled as an extremist ideology by the terrorist police for what that's worth. Um, see, I, it's, how do we convince people that this libertine idea of, of liberty doesn't really apply, that the right to assemble doesn't mean you, you have the right to stand in the streets and block traffic. How do we how do we get people to understand that to blocking traffic is an is an infringement on the rights of other people and no rights conflict in that way. No proper rights conflict in that way. Um, 
How do we convince them of that? Because these the, the instinction rebellion, you know, they get violent when they're being thrown off public streets because they think their political rights are being abused, which is not true. But I would say 85 to 90 percent of the population believes that they do, in fact, have a right to parade through the streets like that and prevent you from going from point A to point B. Yeah, well, this I mean, this is what we get with such an anti concept as public property, don't we? I mean, private <laughs> property by definition is not public. Public is just a concept. It's not, that I'm not sure it refers to anything in reality. Um, I mean, it's a useful word at, at times, but there is no actual public. There is only a, a sum of individuals and property can only be owned by an individual or by a co you know, corporation or co cooperation of various individuals. P public property is an oxymoron. And when we accept public property in our vocabulary and we actually treat it like a legal reality, we end up cheapening the concept of property to the point where your actual property as a private citizen is uh, regulated, it's violated. We actually are losing actual legitimate property the more we respect the uh, fake public property. And you can see what, what, we're, what we now have. This is science fiction to have a bunch of basically anti-civilizational brats and nihilists blocking traffic, doing whatever it is their feelings are drawn, uh, pulling them to do, and to actually have the police, whose job it is to protect the rights of individuals, uh, aiding and abetting these nut jobs. God help us all. Um, and Dylan behind the scenes says that uh, Extinction Rebellion have grown violent when police actually try to remove them from the road. So 90 were arrested last September. Well, that's probably going to change. I mean, the more the more they stand their ground, I hate to say it, but this is true. The more people express moral certainty, the more people end up respecting them because the shaky, pragmatist, altruist, um, you know, uh, centrist skeptics are no match for extremist environmentalists or Muslim extremists. You can't you can't uh, you can't beat extremists and people with moral righteousness by countering it with skepticism and, and sort of this apologetic pragmatism um, of like, hey, hey, just come on, come on, let's go with the status quo. No, 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 that's not going to tame them. That's not going to calm them down. And they have the moral high ground. So uh, history repeats itself, we've seen. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia at one point was just a family of playboys that ran, that ran the country. Like they were basically given Saudi Arabia, I think by the British or by the League of Nations or someone. So they just... Saudi Arabia was just a family of, of, of oil playboys or something. They obviously stole the oil, but just a, a lucky family that had it handed to them. And then the Muslims started to rise up and say, what is it? Is this a Muslim country or not? Aren't you Muslims? And the, the Saudi family was like, uh, yeah, yeah, of course we are. And next thing you know, the Sharia law, moral police and Saudi Arabia is one of the worst places to live as you cannot be secular. You cannot live the life that you want. It's one of the worst theocracies there are. Because the people with who claimed the moral high ground stood up and, you know, jumping over to the West, we see the environmentalists with a lot of moral fervor. They're asking us, don't you believe in saving the planet? And people are like, uh, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. What do you guys want? You want the roads here? Yeah. Block them. Well, time to start. Uh, no, I won't say it. I was going to say something that uh, might get me in trouble. Don't say that. Not mm. around here. Marilene with $4 and a little emoji thing holding up a 
cup of coffee. Sammy's bored again with a banana, a banana peel and 99 pence. <laughs> yeah. So now, Mark, you uh, are formerly an environmentalist. Isn't that right? You uh, your one of your interviews says like from environmentalist to objectivist. That's the title. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these people and I, as do I, I was definitely in that mindset in my teens before reading Ayn Rand. But I was never an adult environmentalist, so I can't relate to actually being a coherent member of society as an environmentalist. I mean, what, so you, you understand these people. You know the enemy. What do you know? Well, I, I, I know that even growing up in the 70s, when the indoctrination, environmentalist indoctrination was beginning, uh, that it saturated me and became, it became uh, almost it felt like an inherent part of my being it felt like common sense to to sort of go in this direction uh it took a lot of thinking to get me out of it i can't even imagine what kids go through now i mean they're inundated from kindergarten on with much more intense indoctrination than than i ever received so it's a lot harder to to get it out of their system than it was for me but i was certainly animated by a humans are a cancer that need to be removed from the earth kind of mentality which isn't foreign to them. I mean, uh, you know, I think Paul Ehrlich has said something to that in 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 the very same vein. I, I think uh, the head of Greenpeace at one time uh, said said the very same thing. There's nothing about an environmentalist that uh, likes human action or human life. They use they use it as a convenient tool to advance their agenda, but. In, in the end, their agenda is to eliminate uh, human influence on the environment. So it's very, very anti-life. And once you see that, you can't unsee it, but it takes a long time to get to, for that information to penetrate. Yeah, I mean, my favorite show at one point as a kid was <clears throat> Captain Planet. I used to look forward to it being on once a week. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was my favorite show. Earth, fire, wind, water heart when all your powers combine i am captain planet that was the uh, i mean i know it by heart to this very day but they are earth fire wind water and then heart was one of them like one of the superpowers heart and it, it could like make like a rabid dog sympathetic that was but those are the those are the ancient elements aren't they so it's like they're they're hearkening back to a, an old time pre-scientific time most definitely. They are uh, the anti-industrial revolution, as Ayn Rand so eloquently put it. Uh, Enric in the chat uh, is, is saying the Orthodox Islamists in Saudi Arabia started in the 1800s. The royal family has had a devil's deal with them since the start of their oil wealth. OK, maybe I miss, uh, misread history, but um, I, my understanding was around the 1970s or something like that. Uh, so not far from the time that Iran became what it became. The Saudis also went from being just kind of a dictatorship to becoming a theocracy but maybe i maybe i uh misremember what i heard or or whatever it is so we want you all to investigate maybe we'll have a middle east expert on the show now now the royal family rents out other places to carry out their debaucheries when i was working in tangier on beirut the royal family was fixing up the boardwalk of tangier for one of their prince's weddings and uh apparently they go there and spend lavish amounts of money on hookers and uh, booze and all the things they're not supposed to do in Saudi that's, Arabia. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That the, the 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 Saudi family basically, if your proximity in in blood to the royalty is your status in Saudi Arabia, 
Uh, so it's absolutely how you're a birthright, you know, you're born a peasant, you'll be a peasant. And um, the rich power and powerful, they love to party behind closed doors and overseas abroad. Um, it, it re- and so that must have been uh, quite the surreal experience to be uh, to be working in that type of place. I've, n- I've never been to a uh, dictatorship or to any kind of um, scary, you know, potentially uh, like a place where I could potentially be arrested and imprisoned indefinitely. I- I've never traveled to those types of places. Yeah, you don't get that feeling with Tangier, but it is it is a, a monarchy and they they are governed by Muslim law. So there is that threat of arbitrariness and brutality behind the behind the scenes there. But um, luckily, I didn't experience it while I was there. Luckily, yeah. Um, sounds like a fascinating experience. And it just it's just so uh, incredible to me that um, these dictatorships, these theocrats and uh, the environmentalist dictators, as they're probably going to be, they, they, they emerge in a vacuum. They basically, they, they're these parasites. They just kind of uh, crawl and uh, drop into the uh, void that is left open by skepticism, by doubt, by moral uncertainty. All it takes is for the secular egoists to assert themselves, to make their position known and clear. If the intellectuals in the Western universities were to study Ayn Rand, take her seriously, give her a fair shake, and ultimately teach her philosophy, even among others, but certainly teach her philosophy. I mean, these uh, all these lunatics would have no chance because just on the face of it, they're insane. On the face of it, they're full of contradictions and they're just anti-reality. They're antithetic to people's values. Who wants to live under the Saudi family? Who wants to live under an nihilist environmentalist rule? Um, who wants to do that it, it, when it conflicts with their values? Only people willing to do that are people that have no moral answer to their claims. So it is truly, um, it's truly simple. Like it's, it's just, it's simple and sad um, how avoidable so much, so many problems in the world are. Um, but for those damn dirty skeptics. Yeah, yeah, the skeptics. So what are we going to do with them? You want to go fight? You want to go fight them? Should we... Uh, I fight them. I fight them every day on social media. Um, they are a very difficult lot uh, because, of course, they they hide behind reason and use reason in, in an attempt to undo it and in an attempt to uh, undermine your confidence in reason and knowledge. So they're a particularly hideous lot. I mean, the sophisticated ones, the unsophisticated ones are pretty easy to uh, to run an end round on. But you can't convince those other folks. Can you? I, I haven't found one who's got a reasonably high academic uh, certification um, who will come around to abandoning skepticism for certitude. Right. Um, I mean, I've basically given up on uh, trying to convince them, you know, like, so they've got a Game of Thrones actor at the Extinction Rebellion protest. And if you look at like the, the history of philosophy and the landscape of all the various philosophical schools that have developed, it's, 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 it makes Game of Thrones seem easy to follow. It's just like that we've gotten to a point where like skepticism and science are basically married in people's, the way people look at it. Literal opposite. Skepticism rejects certainty and science is the sort of path to certainty, but the two are married. And if you try to explain to them that they say, oh, no, 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 you're, you're the one who doesn't well, get it. It, it, well, that's because they, they now define scientific knowledge as provisional. 
and all knowledge is now provisional. So they have a very different uh, point of view than, a, than us. I think, I think an objectivist might look at knowledge as yes, it grows, but it's, we can have contextual certainty. Um, provisional means to me that even, even, even knowledge that you have right now that is, is impeccably logically acquired can be contradicted by some new information in the future. And we know that it can be added to, that things can, can sit on top of that base of what you know, they think the whole thing can be obliterated by something new. Right. And it sounds like you really know a lot about kind of uh, how they present their ideas or what they believe. I think, you um, know, in, in a strange way, the skeptics themselves, the fact that the scientific establishment and that a lot of the secular establishment is basically skeptic, that also emerged in a vacuum. So if, let's say, Ayn Rand's philosophy had been uh, entertained when she wrote Atlas Shrugged, or if Ayn Rand had devised it 50 years earlier, or 100 years earlier, whatever, uh, if the world had known of and accepted or entertained objectivism much earlier, there's a good chance the world would look much different. And sort of the game now, the sort of the battle is to, um, to offer objectivism as a secular rational morality, as an alternative both to religion as well as skepticism. I wonder how many people would 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 find objectivism much more attractive and consonant with their values uh today skepticism has the prestige of you know so many prominent intellectuals but the more that changes the more prominent intellectuals either are objectivists or or respect ayn rand there's a good chance of seeing that change so well, all you have to do is put those intellectuals up against a, a, a solid objectivist a greg salimary and ankar gate uh, Aaron Smith, you and they'll be exposed. You know, they 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 can they can dance rings around their captive audience students because their students don't have context and they don't have life experience. But even people like us who are lay objectivists, who are on the on the fringes of knowledge, so to speak, we know a lot, but we don't know anything like uh, our our teachers. Um, we can beat these folks up. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. You know, I've had tons of arguments with academics. And they're not that special. Uh, and if anything, they've they've disarmed their reasoning capability in school. And it's it's oftentimes like beating up on a kindergartner. I know that sounds strange because the person you're talking to has a PhD, but they but things that are evident to a four-year-old are no longer uh, uh, evident to them. And you can make that very plain to the people who are watching the argument. The person you're arguing with will not see it, but other people will. <clears throat> yeah, and in the chat room, Hugh, my good friend Hugh James says, yes, of course, we need yet another religion. I think he's implying that objectivism is just another, you know, extremist, dogmatic religion. Um, and this is this is what skepticism does to people. This is what they're like. They basically they reject everything, including the truth. Um, so skepticism is like this self-eating. Um, they, they conflate they conflate certitude with dogma. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks and then you. and then they end up trying to give sell you actual religion by saying, hey, look, you've got to believe something. Um, so here's certainty, so to speak, or here's by faith. We really just mean certainty. Uh, Marilyn with ten dollars says, I don't think I bought into the BS, but nothing made sense. In 1971, I read Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal and thought, oh, my God, there are answers. I was born in 53, so it wasn't as bad as it is today. 
couldn't have been as bad, but uh, <coughs> it was sort of like the uh, heart of the battle. It's sort of like if it was Game of Thrones, it's like, you know, season one climax type shit happening with, you know, the, the rise of the environmentalists as Marilene was growing up. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I have found that debate and polemics are wonderful, but the ultimate battle or the ultimate uh, battle is not even a battle. The ultimate um, success, the ultimate victory is just in sort of presenting something positive as its own sort of self-contained messaging, its own uh, gift, its own uh, lesson. That's ultimately what I think is going to uh, change the world, uh, which is why you don't see that many objectivists debating so much. You don't see that many uh, philosophers going out and going for the jugulars. They're mostly just presenting, here's objectivism. Here's what Ayn Rand says. Here's how I understand Ayn Rand. At the end of the day, I do believe, you know, like you look at Ayn Rand herself, her, her, her art drew in many more people than her, you know, her polemics and her, um, you know, her criticisms of the culture. So uh, at the end of the day, it is about positivity. And speaking of positive, Sammy with 99 pens sent us a picture of a hamburger. Thank you. Thank you. Yummy. All right. I guess uh, we can jump over to Clubhouse. Uh, Phil, hold on. Phil with 10 pounds says, just imagine if some British police forces painting, painted their cars rainbow colors. They are. Is it time to say enough already? I don't know if Phil's been to West Hollywood, but, um, you know, rainbows are on cars. That's not necessarily to say that. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd much rather see rainbows on a police car then I don't know, like some sort of environmental, like a peace sign or um, or uh, some kind of environmentalist imagery. That to me is scary, environmentalism. Um, the rainbow to me just kind of says, this is a largely gay uh, area and people don't really understand the purpose of police. So they're painting their cars instead of, instead of just going to work. That's, that's how I interpret that. Um, but yes, Phil, it is time to say enough already because uh, you've got the police helping Extinction Rebellion over there. So what are you going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to jump over to Clubhouse. Thank you, everybody, for the super chats. Sammy's board again with the last minute rainbow super chat at 99 pence. Thank you, everybody, for the super chats. Thank you, Mary Lean, for the $2. They're not letting us stop end the show. $2, she says, not just positivity, but clarity. Exactly right. Thank you, everybody, for the super chats. Jesus Christ, can we end the show? Jumping over to Clubhouse. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And um, I guess uh, see you back later uh, today, everybody. I'm not, uh, I don't have any notes, but I think uh, Harry Binswanger is normally on Mondays. So that's coming up later today, unless I'm, unless I'm incorrect. And uh, next week, uh, the Objectivist Conference is taking place, which may prevent Harry Binswanger from doing his usual show. It'll probably prevent Yaron Brook from doing his usual debate series. So stay tuned for more announcements on next week's um, scheduling. Uh, but yes, coming up today at three o'clock UK time. Three o'clock UK time? That can't be right. Maybe three o'clock Eastern time. Um, three o'clock Eastern time. Yes, that's it. Eight o'clock UK time. HBTV, Harry Binswanger is going to be showing the left who's boss once and for all, or whatever it is he's going to be talking about. Looking forward to that. See you all back here then. See you on Clubhouse momentarily. Thank you, Mark, for sitting through this very long outro. And goodbye. And scene.